All right, guys, welcome to Hilltop. Thank you, babe. This is my wife. Guys, give it up. Before I get, before I get started, I just want to take a moment and honor my family who's in town. Family, could you guys stand up? Yeah. Go ahead, Martin. Martin, say yeah. Family and friends, Aboji Amoni. So glad to have you guys here. Um, I'm really Korean, if you guys didn't know. Don't let the skin fool you. I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm, I'm joking. Now, I'm excited um, that I get the opportunity to serve um, in this way today. Um, you, you know, I'm going to be talking about something that's directly in the vein of what uh, Bethany and Daryl have been preaching. Um, if you guys were here last Sunday, it was amazing service. Daryl was talking about what suffering actually produces in our life. You know, some of us think suffering is unto nothing, but the Bible is very clear of talking about suffering is actually unto something, right? God has an intention and a design for the way we live this life. It's unto his glory. And uh, a couple Sundays before that, um, Bethany talked about the crucified life, living sacrificially, that we are called to live in the same manner that Jesus lived, that we aren't, it, nothing less is expected of us. We are expected and called to die to self, um, that he might be glorified. And so I'm going to be speaking uh, on that topic, and the topic I'm going to be speaking on today is glory. 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 Say it with me. Glory. glory. That sounds like say glory, glory, hallelujah. Amen. All right. Glory is, uh, glory is one of the things I think in the Bible, it's, it's riddled. It's all throughout the Bible. I mean, you see uh, so many passages that contain the word glory in them. And um, I think it's something that we sometimes have over familiarized ourselves with that we almost don't understand what glory actually means. And I think the best way to talk about glory this morning is to look at Jesus I mean, come on, Jesus Christ. So we're going to take a look at him this morning. I'm going to start with, uh, I'm reading out of John. Um, so I'm going to start with John chapter 8, verse 50. So you can flip there or you can follow along on the projector, whatever you fancy. So very simple, very short verse. It says, yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Now this is Jesus talking. And he says, I do not seek my own glory. There is one that seeks it. So when I read this, you know, I'm pretty sure you guys can even think about the dialogue that's going on in my head. Jesus came not to seek his own glory. I mean, how profound. You think about who God is, the incarnate God, God with man. He has the fullness of God and the fullness of man within him, but yet he has come to this earth not seeking his own glory. Amazing. And so the heart of Christ's redemptive work as coming to earth as the incarnate God-man, the heart of this redemptive work is that Christ came to be inglorious, not glorious. He came to live an inglorious life. Let me give you some scripture context so you can see what I'm, where I'm going. Isaiah 53 verse 2 says this. It says, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. He had no form or ma of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. You can say glory. That's crazy. So just think about this. Get this picture of Jesus, right? A lot of us, we like to think of Jesus as the nice, wavy-haired, white, blue-eyed blue man in pic pictures that we see him as, the really attractive guy. Or some of you like to think of Jesus as the black dreadlock man. I don't know which, whatever side of the fence you, you, uh, you tend to be on, but we're not going to talk about that this morning. That's not important. But none of those pictures are accurate when you think about it. Jesus was so unattractive to the eye that people would become overwhelmed at the sight of him. Do you understand this? 
Seriously. A lot of us think Jesus was like the walking Brad Pitt back in the day. No. He was, he was, he was marred beyond human semblance. There was nothing of attraction looking at Jesus. Isn't that crazy? A lot of times we think of Jesus as just like this really, you know, whatever, whatever is attraction in your mind, this awesome guy just walking down. No, people didn't want to associate themselves with Jesus. It's crazy. What the, how, how, how much of genius, that wasn't a correct sentence, the geniusness of God to take Jesus with no glory attached to his physical and to put his glory inside of him. How amazing is that? He was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of many sorrows. He was well acquainted with gr- grief. And one from men, one who men hid their faces from, he was despised. Crazy. So Jesus, the, the heart of Christ's redemptive work in coming to earth as the incarnate God was to be inglorious for 30 years. That's, that's what his mission was, to come to earth, to live an inglorious life. And I'm going to get wrap this up and kind of give you a picture of what God's plan is in this. And to support, go to Philippians 2 with me. Chapter 2, verse 5. It says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant or a slave, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And then he adds, even death. And he means this. This is what he means. The utterly despicable, humiliating death on the cross. The most inglorious experience that a human could ever imagine. Jesus steadfastly refused earthly honors and power, prestige, wealth, and yes, even glory. This was his vocation on earth. He came to be identified with sinners and bear the shame that was associated with sin. Amazing. So much so, I, know, I don't know if you guys remember this uh, verse in passages. It's in Matthew 11, whenever um, John the Baptist got word that Jesus was in town. And he actually meets Jesus and he says, Jesus, are you the Messiah or should we look for another? What John the Baptist was saying is, what I'm seeing with my physical eyes is so far removed from my definition of Messiah, I must question this. That's, I'm just trying to give you a picture. That's how unattractive Jesus was. So you can laugh. It's all right. It's church. <laughs> so what did Jesus come to represent, right? You, I, I've, been, I've, ta- I've harped a lot about um, the unattractiveness of Jesus. I harped a lot about the inglorious life. What did he actually come to this earth to do? He came to represent the Father. He came to represent a father. You think about the property of a seed, right? A seed, we sow it into the ground, and the seed dies, and from the death of the seed yields a tree, which also yields fruit. We call Jesus the first fruit. He was the second Adam. He came to redeem humankind. He came to redeem mankind that we might be reconciled back to him. In John 1, it says, this, it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And he said, he said this to Philip. He said, whoever has seen me has seen the father. In fact, seeing the glory, this beauty of the father's power and goodness and wisdom and love in and through the inglorious Jesus, seeing that was necessary for anyone to be saved. This is how you get saved. People get to see the glory of God in inglorious humanity. 
This is what the Pharisees could not see. He said, seeing you do not see, he says. Our lives as Christians are made to be inglorious. Inglorious. Some of you guys are saying, yeah. But man, we are a generation that is so focused. Man, I mean, we Instagram it up. We do it for the gram. We Facebook it up. We are so caught, especially in this city, of, of keeping our prestige intact, trying to reach upper echelons of society. But do you understand that the very one that we worship in this place, he did not come seeking his honor. He didn't come and say, oh, okay, how can I get my uh, 401k together? He didn't come saying, oh, how can I get my pro- pro- career progression together? He came saying, God, the Father, I want you to be glorified. That's what he said. I want you to be glorified. And I I feel as the same way Jesus came to point to the Father is the same thing he asked and require of us in this place. See, the thing that, that saddens me is a lot of us in this place feel because of our service that we are glorifying God. We feel because of elevating ourselves that we are glorifying him. I'm here to tell you that's not true. Unfortunately, that is not true. We have somehow twisted the gospel to work as a mode for us to achieve success and yet try to devalue God of his glory. Guys, God shall not be robbed of his glory. He shall not be robbed of his glory. And see, Jesus was on to something. The reason why Jesus died to his glory, the reason why John the Baptist in scripture says, Lord, let I decrease and you increase. The reason why is because whenever you take that stance as a believer, you give way for the God man inside of you, the dwelling Christ to glorify himself through you. That is the design of Christ. And when we try to glorify ourselves in light of his goodness, we are actually robbing him of his glory. Do you guys understand that this morning? That when we, when we try to elevate ourselves, when we go on our own accord in what's right in the mind of man, we are actually robbing God of his own glory. That's crazy to think about. You know, it hit me so hard this morning because I think a lot of you have been in church for some time. Some of you haven't. But we can become so complacent and casual in the way we approach God. Almost to the point to where we group it into a checkbox of something that we're just doing merely as a human. Oh, yeah, I went to church today. Oh, yeah, I'm worshiping God. But see, the thing about God is it's, it's a tra- transaction like no other. I'm, I work in finance. and I love to think to see God in numbers. I know that's a weird thing for some of you to grasp. But he's in math. I promise. I promise you. I love to see him in others. Actually, it's so unweighted. He says, you give me all of you and I give you all of me. You give me the fullness of you, and I give you the fullness of me. And actually, the transaction was historical. You know why? Because on the cross, he paid for you. We are blood-stained people in this place today. The gospel is, is that your life is not yours. Your career is not yours. Your financial standing is not yours. Christ actually came that he would be glorified through your life. That is what he desires to do. And as a people, my heart this morning is to get us to see that. See, there's two glories we can be pursuing as people. In Deuteronomy, it talks about choosing this day. Choose you, it talks about choosing this day, that we can choose life or death, but it, it prompts us to choose life. In Scripture, it talks about no man can serve two masters. In Matthew right? That we're, we're, only, we're either serving one or we're serving, serving the other. And so in the pursuit of glory, there's two glories we can be pursuing 
And scripture is clear that I'm going to go to Matthew, Matthew 4, verse 8. And this is the glory that is counterfeit. This is the glory that God, Jesus, the God-man, came not to pursue. So in Matthew 4, verse 8, Jesus is taken to a high point on the mountain, and he's shown all the kingdoms of the world. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Can you go to the next scripture? Nine. Nine. There it is. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Next. Ten. Yep. There it is. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. This is the model. This is the model that we are to follow as Christians. You see, every day we are presented with decisions. Every day we are presented with choices. Today, you have been presented with a choice as to whether you are going to worship God or worship the enemy. See, the enemy will make it really attractive for you. And then he'll try to twist it. He'll say, oh, didn't the Lord command you to throw yourself off of the mountain so the angels can tend to you? Can't you turn this stone into bread? But see, the thing I love about Jesus is he stood firm on the word. He says, for it is written. I am here on a mission to glorify my father. I am not here in the pursuit of glory from the world standard. Although it's due to me, it's due to his name. Think about, think about that, 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 that tension within him. It's due to me. Glory is due to me. But I am here to glorify my father because why? Jesus knew in glorifying the father, he was actually glorifying himself. Because he's a part of the Father, the Trinity. It talks about it in John 17, where he says he references the glory before time began, the glory that he shared. The reason why Jesus referenced that is because he was going back to talking about Philippians 2, where he had emptied himself of the glory because he gave up the rights to be equal with God, to come down to live as incarnate God, God with man. And so in John 17, whenever Jesus is making his final kind of prayer to the Father, he says, Lord, I pray that not only would you bring me into the glory that we had before time, but that, God, that you would bring them also. That is your destiny. Do you know that? Your destiny is to live as Jesus lived. It is exciting. I know, I know, I I don't know if I'm doing a good job of, of really showing the excitement of what it means to follow Christ, of what it means to actually die to yourself. See, it's funny because it's it's contradictory to how the world thinks of it. The world almost says like, oh, you're giving up all these things. You're going to church. You're praising God. Like, unto what? But there is such a sweetness in satisfaction with the fellowship of Jesus that my heart cannot even begin to articulate. There is such a presence and an opportunity that we have to agree with the Lord in the way of suffering, in the way of saying, Lord, less of me and more of you, that your mind cannot even begin to fathom. It is the crucified life. Because in that, God is most glorified. And that's where you get to enjoy God forever. In agreeing with God in your sufferings, you learn to enjoy God forever. Many of you in this place haven't learned the process yet of enjoying God. And I don't say that to condemn you, but I say that to give you the opportunity That as we attribute our sufferings, as we attribute our stance to say, Jesus, it's not about me. It's not about my career. It's not about the things that I can build. It's not about achieving the American dream. But it is simply about you being glorified in my life. 
what happens is you take up on, on his yoke. And he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. But what it means in actual, it doesn't mean just coming to church and throwing your hands up on a Sunday and leaving. It means that because he gave you life, you give it back. Your decisions, your choices are now governed and directed by this spirit, this governor inside of you, the Holy Spirit, which job is to give glory to the Father in your life, to take your life and to bring you into alignment, into agreement with Jesus. Amazing. We have help in this. That's so good. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I don't know about you guys. I'm going to just preach to myself. Let me turn this way. So Matthew 5.16 says this. It says, even so, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Two scriptures above that in Matthew 5, 14, it says this. It says, you are the light of the world, a city that is set up on a hill that cannot be hidden. The crazy thing about Jesus and, and really the interesting thing about him is, is that he takes the fullness of who he is. He takes his glory and his goodness and then he puts it inside of deprived, weak, and sinful man. And I thought about this. I'm like, God, why would you do such a thing? Like, why wouldn't you just choose those who were, like, intellectually adequate or those who, you know, were popular or those who had influence? Why would you choose the weak things? And I began to see through Scripture, it's the weak things that God uses to bring glory to his name. It's the places in your life where you feel like, oh, man, like, I really suck at this. Or, oh, man, I'm really up against the wall here. That God will take that situation and use it to glorify his name. Oh, amazing. Amazing. I want to give you confidence in this this morning. You know, sometimes we think like suffering or hard times, there's no means to an end. We're just like, oh, we're just going to suffer forever. But guys, there is a joy in the Lord. He says, taste and see that I am good. In those times, whenever we say, okay, Lord, I'm not going to drink from any other well of like trying to satisfy myself. I'm not going to try to manufacture your presence. I'm going to wait until you come and comfort me. What we're doing is we're actually stewarding our lives to be attentive to an audience of one before many. You weren't made to live for the, the approval or the opinions of everyone around you. You weren't made to be, to, I'm going to say that again, you weren't made to live for the approval or the opinions of everyone else around you. But you were made to glorify Christ. You were made that he would be lifted up in your good times, your bad times, your successes, and your downfalls. Because it's in that place. See, a lot of us are really good at good times. Oh, Lord, thank you for the job. Oh, God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord God, that, you know, I got the promotion. But how many of us have been acquainted with thanking the Lord during suffering? God, I thank you that you were near during sickness. Lord, I thank you, God, that you stood in my heart, God, from offense. You know, one thing I've been learning as a pastor is... Um, if there's an opportunity to get offended, it, it's, it's everywhere, you know, or, or to offend people. It absolutely is. And uh, I'm so thankful for Daryl <laughs> for, uh, for, for just being, you know, such a, a, a help and a mentor in that area of just like really, you know, helping steward my heart. Because, you know, whenever you take a stance to uh, live for Christ, what happens is you become viewed, um, you know, as, as a Christian, and that term to the world sometimes um, can mean things that it wasn't intended to mean. When I say about this, like when you tell people, oh, I'm a Christian, they have this preconceived notion, right? If we are like, oh, 
another one of those Christians, like, what are you going to tell me now? But man, it is a joy to be associated with Christ in such a way. It is such a joy because you know why? We know the end of the story. Jesus was, he was reviled by men. He was spit on. He was beaten. But at the end, whenever he resurrected, whenever he was on the cross and he was dying, it's like their eyes were open. Like we were amongst him, but we did not even perceive who he was. It's the same thing that the disciples had on the road to Emmaus. Jesus walking, they're walking along on the road and they were talking to Jesus. And they said, didn't our hearts not burn within us when this man was talking to us? You see, there's something about Jesus that even in an unattractive form, there's something about the glory of God that is so attractive that it will cause people that were once unattracted to be drawn to the presence of God. That is where he gets his glory. And so I want to challenge you today, this, this morning, that as many of you guys are new students, many of you guys are embarking on new things, to attribute your sufferings, to attribute whenever men call you names, whenever people have it wrong about you, to say, Jesus, be glorified. Because you know why? What scripture says is, he says, when I am lifted up, I draw all men into myself. He says, I am the most attractive thing. My glory, just as Jesus' presence was overwhelming before people, his glory cannot be ignored. It cannot be unrecognized because it stands. It is powerful. It is beauty in the word beauty. Think about beauty, right? Think about the word beauty. It is embodied in his glory. Beauty is just such a small derivative to, for us to give us language to talk about his glory. When we say, God, you are awesome, you are amazing, these words are so small in light of who he really is. It's just the only language we have to describe him because he's that good. And he actually wants to do that same process in your heart, which is crazy. It blows my mind. He wants to take weak sinners and make them sons and daughters because that's our place. He says, I call you friends. I call you co-heirs. You are now in my family. You are invited into the fold. What an awesome opportunity we have in this city to actually say Jesus be glorified. You know, a lot of people are, are, are pursuing Christ in whatever way they want. But I think scripture is very clear in the way we are to pursue Christ. We're called to die. That's it. That's the bottom line. We have a death sentence. But in dying to ourself, oh boy, Jesus is glorified. Jesus is lifted up. You know, I have this really... Dumb analogy. Please forgive me. My analogies aren't that great, but I'm going to try. My wife is helping me. You know, I like to think of it like this. Think of, think of like a king, right? You guys, many of you guys have seen kings on TV, and he's in his house, and he's inviting guests over, and he has all these utensils on the table, plates, forks, and these different things that are used for eating, right? Because we use many, or unless you use your hand for eating, but forks and spoons. And I can imagine people are coming over to his house, and he's like, hey, guys, I'm so glad you're here. Can I tell you about my forks? They are the best forks. Oh, man, I love my forks. These were handed down from my grandma, and every time I use this fork, I just thank my grandma for it because it does what I intended it to do. See, whenever I, I take that fork and I stab it in the meat and I put it in my mouth, it's successful. I love my forks. And then what happens is the people that come over, they're like, man, that guy's crazy. He really loved his forks. I want forks like that. I want to feel that way about my forks. So he goes out and buys forks. And he's like, yeah, I love these forks too. And then he invites people over. And he says, hey, man, I got these awesome forks. And then it just continues. 
Well, I, I put that analogy in place because that's how we're to be used by God. We're forks, man. You know, we don't hold on to the meat. I was like, hey, man, all right, that worked. <laughs> I didn't think that was going to work. But we're, we're used, you know. You stab yourself in the meat, and then you just give glory to the Father. You're just used by him. That's what God wants to do. Mighty forks. Yeah? <laughs> you guys are ridiculous. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, we're used as utensils. We're not used to consume the glory. God wants to use us as a conduit to say, I'm going to allow you to be used for my glory to pass through. So amazing. So amazing. Where am I going? I'm going to the supermarket to buy some forks. <laughs> All right, so here's the key. This is the key. Jesus did not seek his glory of the Father separate from himself. We, we seek the glory of God separate from ourselves. He sought the glory of the Father, yes, beyond himself. The Father and the Son are not the same reality. They are united in essence, but they are different persons. He sought the glory of God beyond himself. He sought the glory of the Father embodied in himself. So Jesus' whole mission was not to draw attention to himself. Actually, there was times where he would tell people, like, don't, don't, tell, don't tell them about me. Or there's times where he would flee a scene because everywhere he went, he would create a ruckus. It wasn't because he was drawing attention to himself, but the God in him was being so elevated that God was like, I want to glorify myself in this situation. You see, when we think about like prophetic words or we think about healing or we think about words of knowledge, all that stuff is, is God saying, I want to glorify myself through you. That's it. He's saying, I want to give recognition to my name. And it's very important that as God starts to use you, that we don't take that as our own and then somehow puff ourselves up and then we start to build a name for ourselves. But it's really important that we remain low and humble. There's one, one, one qualifying characteristic about Jesus that, he, that was embodied all throughout his life is that he walked in a man of humility. Oh, man. I've never seen such humility in my life. He walked in a manner of service and humility before the Lord. And he was focused on what he was sent here to do. And that was to glorify the Father. And so that's what we're called to do. And, you know, if you have trouble in this, if it's sometimes distracting, I get it. Sometimes, you know, we go through life and different things happen and there's different seasons. And sometimes our, our focus can get a little shifted. You know, one thing I would encourage you to do is to wake up early in the morning and to ask the Lord to refocus you. It seems weird. I know you're like, wake up early in the morning. Me and my wife have actually started doing this thing where we wake up in the morning and we dial up a couple of scriptures and we just start to declare scripture over ourselves. We start to declare scripture in the Lord's promise. The reason why is because if we're Christians and we believe that God is the word made flesh, we believe that there's power in his word, right? And also scripture says that his word does not return into him void. So as we start to declare these things, guess what? The Lord wants to do them because he's glorifying himself. He's saying, ah, that's my son calling on my name. I'm going to glorify myself through them. I'm going to lift myself up. So I want to challenge you in this place. You know, a lot of us, we get into this place, whether it be depression or anxiety or these different things that really come to rob fruit of our lives. We don't have to accept that. Actually, as Christians, as sons and daughters, we have a place of authority, which means we don't have to accept things around us. If it be the will of the Lord, we can say, God, glorify yourself in this situation. So be it. And it will happen. So I really want to challenge you in this place of speaking the word with authority over yourself in the morning. Back to my notes. <laughs> so John 17, 4 says this. It says, 
This is Jesus talking. Um, as I mentioned earlier, he's talking to the Father. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. That glory we read about in Philippians 2, that's the glory that he emptied himself. He says, now, Lord, the time has come. Lord, reunite me with you. God, that I might join in the glory. And see, that's actually a glory that Jesus, is, Jesus promises that we can enter into. He says, I come to make you sons and daughters. My, his whole prayer in John 17 is remarkable. You should read it. He says, I pray that you don't take them out of the world, but that you would actually give them strength to endure the world. Why? Because in enduring the world, in walking as Jesus walked, we actually get to know his heart a little bit more. In being identified with him, we get to smell like him a little bit more. And we get to walk that out. So what does Jesus mean in John 8.50 when he says, I do not seek my own glory? I think he means two things. The first thing he means is, I do not seek glory, wealth, power, and prestige of this world. I'm here to suffer, to be ashamed, not honored by the world. And secondly, he means this. The glory that I do seek is my Father's glory, which for those who have eyes to see is also my glory. He does not seek his glory apart from the Father's glory. He does not seek to be glorious with a private glory, but only with the Father's glory embodied in his own person. So he does not seek worldly glory. We got that. And he does not seek private glory. But yes, he does seek the glory of the Father. He does seek his glory after his redemptive work is done. And this is the love that he pursues because this is the glory he invites us into to enjoy forever. There's going to be a day where you enjoy the presence of the Lord forever. Can you wrap your mind around that? What does that actually look like? That we get to enjoy God in the place where he is forever. In scripture, he says, he says I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but actually go and prepare a place for you. He says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. That in scripture, there is this language of intimacy that is unlike any other piece of, of reading that you have ever read before in your life. He's saying, I desire to make them mine. You know, I want to encourage you in this place that if you feel like you are outside of the fray, or maybe you have never encountered the Lord in such a way, right? Maybe you've never get, gotten to know him. There is such an opportunity for you this morning to know him. There is such an opportunity for you this morning to enter into the place of intimacy so that when you go through hard times, trials, and tribulations, you can actually have joy. Yeah, it's weird. You can actually have strength, supernatural strength. It's supernatural, meaning it's above the plane of our understanding that he does. It's amazing. So God takes us and releases his glory through us. Why? Because his glory is so much better. It cannot be denied. When you taste of him, you'd have to be extremely delusional and insane to say that you haven't. This is your purpose this morning, to agree with him, that he died, that he rose, and that he, that he desires to actually live in you this morning. There is an opportunity for you in this place. Let's just close our eyes for a moment. God, we thank you, Lord, that your word, God, demonstrates that you have a desire. God, we thank you that your word demonstrates that your desire is to live inside of us. God, not that we wouldn't suffer, not that we would simply be prosperous, 
but that your desire is to be glorified in us. So God, I just ask that you would begin to raise up in this house, lay down lovers. God, I ask that you would begin to awaken sons and daughters in this place this morning. God, if we have never heard the message of the gospel, if we have never been acquainted with this amazing love story of you giving yourself, God, going through scourge, shame, and rebuke, God, that the Father would be glorified, that we would be reconciled as sons and daughters to you. Lord, I ask, God, that you would use my words, God, that you would bring clarity, and Lord, that you would penetrate the hearts of men and women in this place this morning. God, I just ask, Lord, every place that we have built up before you of a false perspective of who you are, of a false perspective of who you are, God, we ask that that would be penetrated right now in the name of Jesus And Lord, I ask, God, for those that are on the edge, for those that have heard about you, that have maybe seen you, God, we ask for a place of encounter this morning. God, that they would actually encounter your presence, Lord. God, I ask, Lord, that they would hear the words, God, from a weak vessel this morning and say, God is speaking to me, that he is looking to invest himself into my life, that his glory would be embodied in me. Jesus, we ask that you would do your work, Father. We thank you in your name. I don't want to be awkward, and I don't want to move too quickly, but I want to give an opportunity um, to those who maybe want to have this in in their life, that want to know Jesus beyond just a, a perspective, beyond just a mere earthly understanding, but actually want to know the living God. They want to know the totality, the fullness of his presence. So I'm going to invite Will up to the stage. And so with every head bowed, every eyes clo- every eye closed, we're not going to wait too long on this. But this is a serious moment. Because in this moment, you are given the opportunity to either agree with what God has done or not. In this moment, you are given the opportunity to say, Father, I may not have it all together. I may not know the beginning from the end, but Lord, I know that you do. And God, I want to be with you where you are. And then there's a second group of people that I believe the Lord wants me to address this morning. And that group of people is maybe you have over-familiarized yourself with Jesus. You have been the one that you, have, you hear about him, you have read about him, you're studying, you're worshiping, but then there's just this disconnection in your heart with his person. And I believe Jesus wants to reintroduce himself to you this morning, that you can have agreement with him, that you can actually walk in a place of power and authority that he would be glorified in you. So I want to invite you to this stage to join me in this stage. One, you never have have encountered God before. This is your first time hearing about him and you say, I want more. And two, you may be in a place of stagnation and you need God to awaken your heart again. You need God to touch your heart that you would worship him rightly, that you would be able to endure in trials and tribulations. So I believe there's, a, there's an opportunity for you here at the altar this morning. So I want to invite you to come.